And we're starting a brand new series today called Mind Monsters. And I've been looking forward to this series for a while. And I'm gonna have you stay standing while we read our scripture. Uh, but what are we talking about? When we talk about these mind monsters, where we're talking about things that, that seem scary, that seem like they are powerful, but in reality, pose no real threat to us whatsoever. That's what we're, we're going to learn, that these things that kind of keep us down and hold us back from becoming who we're called to be and who we are supposed to be really don't have a threat in our, our lives. And so in this series, we're gonna identify these different areas uh, like, like anxiety and doubt and worry and fear, these things that hold us hostage. And I believe that many of us in this room, come on, we are long overdue for a breakthrough. We are long overdue to have these things that, that keep us from becoming what God has called us to become through the power that Jesus gives us. And so in this series, we're gonna talk about how we can, how we can find liberty. And I'm believing for those that, that commit to being here, that as a result of our time together in God's word, that you're gonna find great liberty. You're gonna find a great weight that is lifted off of you by the power that we have in Jesus. Scripture tells us no weapon formed against us will prosper. Bible says that greater is he who lives in us than he that is in the world. So the truth is, you are far more powerful than you realize. That you and I have more to tap into than, than, than what we understand. These, these monsters that we have in our mind, ultimately you and I, we are no match for them, but they are no match for God. That's what we're gonna learn. That while we're no match for them, they're no match for God. Because at the end of the day, nothing can stand toe to toe with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and live to talk about it, right? So what we're gonna do in this series is force these monsters in our mind to the feet of Jesus. And so the Bible tells us in Psalm 91, it says, uh, you can look up here on the screen or look in your own Bible, your text says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's what we want. For some of you, your mind is going 100 miles a minute. You just have thoughts, these monsters coming, coming in and out. We want rest. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. He is my, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. That sounds like a, a goose down blanket. Come on, covering you, keeping you, you know, safe and warm. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. This is a promise of God that we have. And then he kind of gives us this command in verse five. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the, the, the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness. And honestly, that's what these monsters feel like sometimes. This disease that stalks us of doubt, of worry, of fear, of anxiety kind of plaguing our minds. But he says, do not be afraid of it. Don't dread the disease that stalks you in the dark. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, I want you to open your eyes. These evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished if you make the Lord your refuge. There's, there's a, a part that is tied to this promise. It's a, a clause. It's conditional. 
that if we do this, if we make the Lord our refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, then no evil will conquer you. Just to make sure uh, that we got it, verse five and six again say, don't be afraid of the terror at night. Don't be afraid, don't dread what's stalking you in the darkness. Before you sit down, tell two people, don't be scared of what's stalking you, and then sit down. Go ahead, tell them right now. Don't be scared of what's stalking you. And then you need to make sure to tell them, I'm not the one stalking you, because that would be super creepy, right? It's not me. Make sure you say it's not me. Uh, thank you, worship team. Thank you guys so much for leading us this morning. Um, don't be afraid of the scariest thing on earth, right? Something that's stalking you in the dark. And a lot of times we read something like that, a promise of God like that, and we say, yeah, that's easier said than done. And it is, right? It's easier for God to say than it is for us to do. But fortunately, here's the promise. If he said it, then we can do it. You believe that? Like if he said it, if he said we don't have to be afraid, if we don't have to feel terror from those things, if he said it, then we can do it by his power if we just believe it. And ultimately, that's where the, the rubber meets the road in all of this, whether or not you and I believe in those promises that God has for us, for us because that's what faith really is. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing in those promises of God no matter how impossible they might seem in the moment. Even if God tells a 100-year-old guy, hey, you're gonna have a lot of babies, you're gonna have more you know, children than, than you can count the sand on the seashore, right? That's one of those things we say, easier said than done. But it is easy for God to say, but we have to believe it. That's what faith is. So on the surface, what we read in, in Psalm 91 seems to be this impossible command, right? Don't be afraid of something that's stalking you. Don't be afraid of the scariest thing you can imagine. But if God said it, then ultimately we can do it. And that's what we're gonna learn in this series. How to resist those, those mind monsters of fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and depression. Those, those things that stalk us in the dark corners of our mind and keep us from living the life of freedom that Jesus calls us to live. I don't know about you, but there's something about the dark that makes everything a lot more scary, isn't there? Like, 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 I don't wanna be stalked during the day. I don't wanna be stalked at night though either, right? Where I can't see what's going on. And I think for a lot of us, there's, there's, uh, we're all still little kids to a certain degree where we don't like the dark. We're afraid of the dark. I don't know if you grew up this way, but in my house, um, when we were growing up, and if we were gonna stay up a little bit later, my parents would say, all right, you guys can, you can watch TV a little bit later, watch this show that we're watching, uh, usually like the A-Team or something like that. Shout out to you know, Mr. T. Um, that's kind of what we had watched growing up, and if we were wanting to stay up and finish the show, my parents would say, that's fine, but then you, you gotta go to bed by yourself. This is what we do to our boys. Like, like, you can finish it, but then you go upstairs, brush your teeth, and you get in bed you know, all on your own, and the thought of, wait, by myself? Like, I gotta go upstairs in the dark? It's scary up there, right? And so the only thing to do when faced with that situation is to run upstairs as fast as you can and sprint by every dark door just so nothing evil jumps out at you, nothing evil grabs you, and then jump into your bed so nothing under the bed can get you, right? Because things in the dark are a whole lot scarier, um, our, our mind just kind of wanders. We, we think there are a lot more evil opportunities that are just lying waiting in the dark. For me growing up, 
I wasn't so afraid of the dark as much as I was afraid of what things look like in the dark. Come on, somebody. Like when you're in your bed and your chair has like a book bag in it or something in it by the window, like your mind just like, that's something creeping in my room at night. Or the towel draped over the closet door, right? That's like a mind-sucking monster, you know, that's kind of floating through the air. Our mind wanders in the dark. And even today, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm, I wasn't always this brave specimen standing before you today, okay? <laughs> that I used to be terrified when I was little of, of like, like weird things. We went to Disneyland one time out in California. That's where, you know, I, I was born in Arizona and lived out there a little bit. But I was like maybe five, six years old. And my brothers all went on Space Mountain, but I wouldn't go because I was scared of it. I, instead, I went with my mom to It's a Small World. <laughs> and I still cried, all right? That was still scary for me. So I, I was scared. And even as an adult, I don't necessarily like the way things look in the dark. I've been in this room at night on a Friday night, just kind of like either running through the message or, or praying over the space. And from this platform, it's dark in here. I, I looked up one night and there's that camera tripod right there and I peed my pants, okay? <laughs> it was just one of those things that you just look up and you're like, oh, it's the camera. But I was terrified. And so our mind plays tricks on us in the dark. Um, but now that uh, I'm at the age that I am, I'm not so afraid of what might jump out of my closet in the dark, but I am afraid of what might jump out of the corners of my mind in the dark. Those fears that I have of, of anxiety or worry or doubt, right? I, I still don't like those things. So, so this message is really about like bad thoughts and scary, scary dreams, uh, maybe it's not a problem for you, but it's, it's a problem for me. I'm calling this message, if you want a title, A Monster Called Fear. A Monster Called Fear. Full disclosure, um, scary thoughts and bad dreams have been a, a part of my life for a good portion of my life. Uh, but they come in the form of doubt. They come in the form of worry. They come in the form of anxiety or, or panic, right? They come in the, all, all different kinds of, of shapes and sizes, uh, and it has taken far more peace from me than I care to even admit. So when I read something like Psalm 91, the question is, how can I, I can reconcile that? You know, when God so matter-of-factly says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared of the things that are, are scary. You don't have to be afraid of these terrors at night. You don't have to dread the disease that stalks you in the darkness. And here's what I've come to realize. Just because we don't have to be afraid doesn't mean you will never feel afraid. His word says we don't have to be that way. This text is telling us we don't have to fear the darkness, but that doesn't mean you will never uh, feel afraid because there's a difference between protection and prevention. There's a big difference. And when you have protection from something, you're still in the middle of it. When you have prevention from it, right, it doesn't touch you at all. So there's a big difference in what God is telling us in his word. We're not talking about protection or, or prevention from. We're not talking about an exemption from where it doesn't touch you. Anybody ever been exempt from a class or exempt from a test in school? You know how when you're exempt from a class, you, you might transfer from one school to the next and they look over your transcripts and realize you don't have to repeat that same course curriculum because you know, it kind of matched up. That's a beautiful thing being exempt from something. It's a beautiful thing being exempt from a test. 
right? So where everybody else is taking the test, but because your GPA is where it is and you don't have to take it. And so you're watching everybody else sweat over the midterm. When you're exempt from it, it doesn't touch you. But that's not God's promise. God's promise isn't that it never will touch us. His promise that he will protect us in it. And so there is a big difference that, that in Christ, if we will do our part, if we will seek him, if we will trust him, if we are constantly going to him when we are afraid, when we have these monsters in our mind, then the promise is we have protection from it. We're gonna be in it, but we still have protection in the middle of it. The, 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 the Psalm said, though a thousand die around you and 10,000 are, are falling you know, at your feet. It's funny when I think about that, uh, if there are 10,000 dying around you, you're, you're pretty close to the battle, aren't you? Like close enough to smell it, to smell the smoke, close enough to feel afraid, close enough to feel like you're in danger. And I think that's more where a lot of us are than we would like to admit, that we're on the front lines of something. We're on the front lines of this battle that's kind of raging in our mind that we have great protection in, through the power of Jesus Christ, protection in it, but not from it. That it still impacts us. We still feel afraid. So what do we do, right? What do we do when this monster called fear shows up? I wanna give you a, a few different things if you wanna jot these down. The first thing that we have to do, taken from this text, is that we have to draw accurate conclusions. We have to bring an accurate conclusion to it. What do you mean, Colby, bring accurate conclusions? Well, for starters, you are not those scary thoughts, you should know that. Just because you have them, that doesn't mean that's, that's who you are. We have an enemy that would love nothing more than for you to constantly feel afraid, for you to constantly de be defined by those, those monsters that are in your mind, for you to, to think that this is who I am, this is who I will always, always be. But you are not your scary thoughts. You have to draw accurate conclusions. And while you and I might not always have uh, the choice of what enters our mind, we do have a choice of the conclusions we bring to those things that enter our mind. Like you get to choose what you allow to, to pass through or what you allow to take up residence in your mind and in your heart. And so we need to make sure we draw an accurate conclusion. Again, the enemy wants you to be defined by anything that, that pops into your brain. For you to think, well, if I have anxiety, this is just who I am. If I have depression, this is who I am. If I have worry or doubt or fears, this is who I am. This is who I will always, always be. But those thoughts are not you. Just because you think them doesn't mean that's who you are. You should know that. So, Colby, where do they come from? They come from a few different places. I'll give you, I'll give you three examples. And one is uh, they, they're the byproduct of spiritual warfare. I don't know what you believe about that or how you feel about that, but the Bible tells us that there are battles going on right now. Up in the, the heavenlies, battles between uh, principalities of the dark, angels and demons. And you should know that we have a, an enemy who's called Satan, that he wants, he hates you. Like he wants bad things for your, your life. And so some of those thoughts that we have, not all of them, maybe, you know, a few of them are, are the byproduct of spiritual warfare. I think more of them come from the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken, fallen world where uh, even today, man, like kids at a terrifyingly early age are having to deal with fear and anxiety and doubt 
and worry growing up in school. I never did an active shooter drill in elementary school. Like there's just a lot more that's, that's plaguing us. Like we, we've all been there where we were the last picked on the team or called loser or nobody likes you. You feel lonely in middle school or high school or even today as adults, right? We can still feel that way. And that's because we live in this, this fallen, broken world that we have. It's also a product of warfare. Here's a third reason. It's because unfortunately we choose to worry. Like we choose that. We, we have three enemies, the devil, the world, our sin nature, and, and ourselves, really. And that flesh is a part of the inside of us that chooses how to respond to temptation, chooses how to respond to worry and doubt. And so sometimes we have these fears because we've allowed them to move from our heart, our, our mind to take up residence in our heart. And we choose that by choice. So you gotta make sure that you draw accurate conclusions. It's you are not those scary thoughts. It's not the sum total of your existence. That's not who God created you to be. He's given you a, a, a spirit of, of not fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. That's what his word says. And by the way, you're not the only one with scary thoughts. You should know that too. A lot of times we think we're the only one plagued by fear or anxiety or doubt, but you're not. Many people wrestle and struggle with these dark, disturbing thoughts, um, uh, thoughts that would terrorize us, thoughts that would cause us to, to lose peace in our life. All of us, including, get this, Jesus. So the next time you think, you know, I have, I have doubt and fear and worry and, and I'm scared, listen, you're in good company because Jesus had those thoughts as well. In fact, Jesus went through something uh, called his 40 days of terror. I don't know if you remember this, but he was in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him. He was trying to put bad thoughts into his mind. He's trying to give him mind monsters. Like, like what, Colby? Like uh, thoughts like you should, you should kill yourself. You should jump off this building. Thoughts like you, should, you shouldn't follow through with the plan that God has given you. Thoughts like, like you know, those kinds of thoughts that you should worship the devil, he didn't say exactly that way, but that's what those thoughts were. Uh, Jesus had thoughts that would cause terror. Jesus had thoughts that would steal his peace, that would take him off of the, the course, the mission that God has for his life. But I think about the deepest, darkest time in Jesus' life was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the darkest hour of his life. This is what it says in Mark 14, 33 about it. Jesus, he says he, Jesus, plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. Have you ever been there? You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way about these monsters in your mind that, that plague you, that hold you hostage, that, that don't let you go, that it's the sinkhole of dreadful agony? In fact, we know that Jesus was so crushed by thoughts in that moment that it had a physical effect on him where capillaries under his skin began to rupture, began to burst, and blood started to flow through his, his glands, right? And we know that that's a, a real thing. And we know today that the impact that stress and pressure has on our physical lives as well, causing ulcers, cancer, right, can cause high blood pressure. And so we need to make sure we draw accurate conclusions to these monsters that plague us, that we are not those scary thoughts and we're not the only ones with them. Here's the second thing I want you to jot down and that is we have to now defend our borders. Defend your border. Like what are we to do when these mind monsters uh, get through? 
We don't just deal with them as they come, but we have to proactively set up a perimeter in our mind against them. My question to you is, how are those thoughts getting through in your life? Like, how are those, how are those little monsters infiltrating your heart, your mind? What, what borders have you placed around your mind? What borders have you placed around your heart? What borders how are you placing around your life? Yes, we need to deal with them as they come up. We might still get blindsided by an assault, by an attack, but what are you putting in place to proactively guard against them? Are you securing your defenses? And here's why, because prevention is always easier than the cure, isn't it? Like preventing them from ever happening is way easier than trying to get rid of them after the fact. With anything in life, by the way, it's, it's hard to go on a diet. It's tough to try to lose 30 pounds. It was a lot easier if I didn't gain it in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Prevention is always easier than the cure. So when it comes to these monsters in your mind, it's not just about what you turn off, but it's about what you choose to turn on, what, what you choose to, to put in place. So often our only strategy for dealing with these monsters in our mind is to play, is to play whack-a-mole. You guys remember whack-a-mole from Chuck E. Cheese, all right? You go and play whack-a-mole where the, the thing pops up and you whack them all. That's what you do, you whack them all, okay? Um, a lot of times that's what we do. We just deal with it as they come. My question is to you, but what about plugging up the holes in the fence that are allowing the moles to get in the first place? Like, what are you doing to plug up the holes in your heart and in your mind that are allowing these monsters to get in? Well, Proverbs 3, 21 tells us what we are to do. Uh, it says, my son, let them, meaning scripture, God's word, his commands, not depart from your eyes. In other words, be vigilant. Vigilant. Put up a, a perimeter. Guard against them. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be Life to your soul, they will be grace to your neck. And then we see this byproduct of, of putting up this perimeter because it uses this clause, right? If and then then, right? It's conditional. It says, then you will walk safely in your way. Your foot will not stumble. You will lie down. You will not be afraid. Come on, that's the goal, to lie down in peace, to lie down without these, these thoughts just kind of running rampant in our mind. Yes, you will lie down and you will sleep and your sleep will be sweet. So do not be afraid when sudden terror comes. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid when trouble from the wicked, when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. What this, this verse is telling us to do is to make uh, sure you do everything you can to soak your mind and your heart in praises of God to soak your mind and your heart in God's word so that your mind is a, an environment that is inhospitable to these monsters. Make it such a, an environment where they, they don't wanna get in, they can't get in. Like let, let, let praise and worship always be a part of you. Let, let God's word uh, be louder than the, the voice of the monsters that are in your mind. That's what it's telling us to do and that will cause our minds to be a place where we're not having to deal with as many monsters because we've proactively put borders in place to protect ourselves from them. I'll say it this way. Uh, if you leave breadcrumbs out on the kitchen table, will it bring in the bugs? Yeah, right? Like if you leave crumbs out, it's gonna bring in the ants. It might even bring in, in the mice, right? It's gonna attack it. What bait are you leaving out for the monster of fear to grab a hold of? What bait are you leaving out? 
What bait are you leaving out for worry to grab a hold of? What bait are you leaving out for anxiety to grab a hold of? Because in a lot of ways, they're like these, these magnets that we leave out that draw the monsters in. Like, like what, Colby? Like negativity? Like complaining all the time? Like gossip? Like pride or selfishness? Those are, that's bait that monsters wanna grab hold of in your heart and in your life and keep you stuck in those. What about, uh, what about jealousy? Like if your life is an atmosphere of, of jealousy all the time, that's stuff that the enemy wants to grab a hold of and to, to keep you down. And by the way, those monsters won't just leave. They will never show themselves out, right? They're, they're never gonna feed on that enough. They're never gonna get satiated from it and leave. You have to starve them. And what about worry? Worry is like, like seagulls. Uh, you feed a seagull, right? Do they, do they leave you alone? No, it comes back with all his homies, right? And they just kind of go crazy all over you. That's what worry is like. When you worry, it comes back with a, with a vengeance. So what bait are you leaving out for the monsters to grab a hold of? My question is, how are you defending your borders? What are you watching right before you go to bed at night that's dark and deranged, and then you wake up in the morning and you wonder why you tossed and turned all night? You wonder why you didn't get peaceful rest or sleep. Or what is it that you're opening up first thing in the morning? You wake up in bed and you open up Facebook and you see everything that everyone else is doing that you wish you were doing and what they're doing is not even reality and all that kind of stuff. And you start comparing yourself to that. And so now you've set your whole tone for the day in comparison. Like that's bait for monsters to grab a hold of. What are you, what are you reading in the morning that's, that's negative, that's hate-filled, what you're doing is you're giving the keys to the kingdom away and inviting the enemy into your life. And they're feeding on that. That's what my monsters do. So you gotta guard your borders. And another thing I'm learning about protecting my borders is that it's harder to hit a moving target. It's hard to uh, hit something that's just, that's always moving around. So I'm saying, just don't stay still. Just don't stay, stay stuck. How many times people say, well, this is just who I am. You know, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. You remember that song? No. Like, get up and do something. Get out and love somebody. For people that say, I'm just all alone. Uh, you know, I'm just, this is who I am. I'm stuck. No, those are, that's, monsters will try to get into your mind because you're not moving around. The Bible says if you want to have friends, you have to be friendly. So get out there, love somebody. Like, engage with other people. Um, I, I promise you, there's somebody in your life that's, that's experiencing more pain and hurt maybe even than you are. So get out there and love them. Don't just, don't just sit there. It's always harder to hit a moving target. It's true. That old adage that says, idle hands are the devil's playground. Nature abhors a vacuum. And if you're not filling it up with something else, guess what? The enemy will. If you're not filling your mind up with something else, the enemy will grab a hold of, of that. So defend your borders proactively. Here's a third. Here's a third. We've got to go quick. Launch a counter strike. You guys got to write these things a lot faster, all right? I'm just waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Launch a counter strike. Uh, so what do you do when you are proactively guarding your borders? What do you do when you say, Colby, man, I, I, I read my Bible. 
I soak my heart, my mind in God's word. You know, I'm, I'm doing my version Bible plan every single day, but I'm still getting attacked. I still have panic attacks. I still have anxiety and fear and doubt and worry. And the fact that you're standing up there as my pastor telling me that you still have the same thing, those you battle those monsters as well, what am I to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to take action immediately and launch a counteroffensive because God's promise is revealed through your participation. You need to realize that. His promises come as a result of our participation. Put up Psalm uh, 91.5 back up on the screen for me. It says that you shall not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of the terrors at night. That you don't have to do that. That's the promise of God. That's his command. But it's conditional on my participation. Because look at 9 and 10. It says that if, see that word if? If you do this, then you you can have that promise. If you make the Lord your refuge. If you make the most high your shelter, then no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. So when there's a promise of God, it requires our participation. We have to do something about it. A lot of times we just sit and we just say, well, God promises to do this. God promises to do that. I'm just gonna wait on God. No, you have to get up. You have to participate in that promise. It'd be like if I won a contest, and let's say the, the promise of the contest that you won uh, was that you got to have free McDonald's for the rest of your life. That's kind of like not winning, all right? But let's just say that's, that was the promise of the contest. All the, all the shamrock shakes, shout out to St. Patrick's Day people, all the shamrock shake, shakes you could drink, all the, the McRib sandwiches you could eat. I don't know what that meat is either, but it tastes as good, you know, I'm just saying. All that uh, that you could eat. But how many of you know that promise comes, that that promise of all you can eat comes through your participation? Because you would have to actually do something to get that card that says, you know, free McDonald's for life. And and it's different uh, having the card in your wallet that says that than it is actually having the quarter pounder with not real cheese in your hand to eat it. All right, you know what I'm saying? Like you'd actually have to do something to get it. You'd have to get in your car. You'd have to drive to McDonald's. You'd have to place your order. You'd have to explain to the person behind the counter that I won this contest, free McDonald's for life. You'd have to show them your card. And then and only then would you be able to receive that sandwich, right? It's not as if the promise of free McDonald's for life means McDonald's is gonna back a truck up into your garage and unload cheeseburgers for your entire life. That's not what that promise means. It is not a lump sum. It is, it is gonna be paid out in installments. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we read promises like, don't be afraid of that thing that's stalking you. Don't be afraid of the, the terror of, of night. And we read that as we'll never have to be afraid again. But I'm telling you, it's not like a one-time thing, a one-time injection of peace that God gives you that whenever you need it, you just reach into your, your peace supply and you're good to go. No, it's as you participate in it. It's as you take it before God, it's as you, you trust in God that you receive that promise. It's, it's, a, it's like a drip IV, constantly flowing as long as you remain connected to the source. And so it's like we get just enough for the moment if we're willing to take advantage of it, but you have to be willing to participate in it. Isaiah 26 tells us this, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind 
is stayed on you because he trusts you. If you are wrestling with a monster in your mind, if you're wrestling with, with fear or doubt or anxiety or worry or insecurity, you need to jot this verse down right here because it's telling us we can have that peace, that perfect peace, as long as our mind is stayed on him, as long as our mind is fixed on him. Stay connected to him. I used to have, uh, for two weeks, I had one of those uh, Samsung Galaxy watches uh, that connected to a magnetic dock. I don't know if you guys might have a watch like that or an Apple watch or something like that, Um, but then I hated it, so I I got rid of it. But it, it connected to the dock, and the only way it would stay charged or the only way it would get charged is if it was connected. And I think a lot of times that's what those promises of God are like that we receive those as long as we stay connected. It's like this magnetic charge on our lives that you will keep in perfect peace as long as you stay connected, as long as you trust God. If you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep launching a counter-strike. So we see this in in Jesus' life. Uh, We left him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, We left him in the sinkhole of, of agony, of dreadful agony, So the question is, what did he do? Like he's Jesus after all. How did he get himself out of the darkest days of his life? This is gonna help somebody because he did two things that are key that we must copy. Two things that are amazing in their simplicity but profound in their power. Here's the first thing that Jesus did. His first counter strike was to take it to God. Jot that down. He took it to God. Uh, Look at Mark 14 with me. It says this, they, Jesus and his disciples, went to the olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go pray. He took Peter, James, and John, remember that, we're gonna come back to that, with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. So this is that moment where Jesus is experiencing his, his deepest agony, his darkest day. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, Stay here and keep watch with me. And this is what he did. He went a little further, fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible for for God to remove this awful hour awaiting him, that it might uh, pass him by. And then he said, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want what your will is to be done, not my will is to be done. So we see Jesus in this moment, the darkest day of his life, the first thing he does was he takes it to God. He takes it to him. I love that, that Jesus, uh, even though his soul, the Bible says, is exceedingly troubled, he got on his knees and he told God, I am afraid. I have this monster that's plaguing my mind. I am scared. I'm terrified. I don't want to go to the cross. That's what he says. If there's anybody else, if there's any other way, will you please remove this cup of suffering from me? I don't want to do it. And I want you to see that in those moments, what Jesus did was he named his fear. And by naming it, he distanced himself from it. He removed it from himself. He removed it from him being the only one that had to carry it. See, a lot of times the enemy wants you to think those worries, those fears, those doubts that you have, that that's just who you are. You're the only one that can carry them, but that's not the case. He distanced himself from it because he took it to God. He told God about it. Jesus uh, told God what he was afraid of. And when he did that, this dark thing that the enemy wanted to use to keep him down, 
that you and I left to ourselves, left to those monsters in our mind, will smother us, will silence us, will suffocate us and steal our peace. But the moment we bring them before God and we say, God, I am terrified of this thing, you know what that does? It shines a light on it. And so that it can't hide in the darkness anymore because what you've done is you've taken that monster out of your mind and you forced it to the feet of the Father where he has no other option now but to look up in terror at God and stand before him because you've said, I can't do this on my own. I'm scared, I'm terrified. God, will you take this from me? Now, when you do that, will God remove it from you like that? Sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes he will. Maybe sometimes you've been in that place and you've taken your fears and desperations before God and he's, he's changed the situation completely. But in Jesus's case, listen to me, he was still going to the cross, wasn't he? He was still gonna face that fear. The difference was now he was doing it from a position of power and strength because he took it to God. I need to tell somebody this right now. Like, you are still maybe gonna have to face that battle, but you're not gonna have to do it alone because you've taken it to God, you've forced it to the feet of the Father, and you can't carry it anyway. So some of you need to do that. And that's what we learned that Jesus did in, in launching this counterstrike was he took it to God, and then the second thing I want you to jot down is that he woke up his friends. Come on, somebody, wake up your friends. I love the fact that Jesus, after going to God, falling on his knees and praying, walks maybe 10 yards, 20 yards, back to his, his buddies, Peter, James, and John, and says, hey guys, I need you to pray for me. Like, I'm scared, I'm still gonna go through with what God's called me to do, but I need you to pray for me. Would you just pray with me? See, I think somewhere along the way, we've forgotten how much power there is in people praying for you. And others praying over you, praying with you. That's why we offer it at the end of every worship service that we have. If you want someone just to pray with you about those things that are tormenting you, those things that are terrifying you, we have our teams that will be up front. They're, they're, they'd love to pray with you. But we've forgotten how much power there is in, in just having others to pray with us, to, to wake, wake them up and say, this is what I'm experiencing. We knew this when we were little, didn't we? Like when you'd wake up from a nightmare, you know, as a young boy or a young girl, what'd you do? You'd run down the hall, you know, and jump in your parents' bed. You're scared, you're terrified. We had the sense to wake others up. What I'm saying is if Jesus, who was the son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, had sense enough in his moment of desperation to grab a few friends and say, would you pray for me? Then why on earth would some of you go through the nightmare you are going through all alone and not wake up someone else? And do you have anyone else you can wake up? Like, do you have a Peter? Do you have a James or a John? Someone you can go to when things hurt the most in your life. Jesus had, he had 12 homeboys, right? 12 of them. But he only had three that he could bear his soul to. Three that he could say, I'm terrified. Three that this is what, what I'm facing in Jesus. We have this model of how to get through the, the dread of the, the darkness in our lives. We have this model of how to launch a counterstrike. We, we take it to God and then we text some buddies. We text some, some of our, our girlfriends. We text some people 
that can walk through this with us. We have this perfect template of how we don't feed our fear, right? We feed the faith that we have in Jesus. And we have to continually do that because the enemy wants you to drown in those fears. He wants, he wants you to dwell on those monsters in your mind. And here's the problem. What we'll do is we'll hear a message like this. Sometimes we'll think, all right, well, I just won't think about them anymore. I'll just delete them. I just won't think about, you know, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt. How many of you know that the, the way to guarantee you're gonna think about something is to try not to think about it, right? That's what happens. But instead, what we do is say, all right, I'm gonna fill my heart with praise, my life with, with worship, you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna take these, these scary thoughts that I have and understand that they can't be erased you know, from my mind that they need to be replaced. And I'm gonna create a new atmosphere and soundtrack to my life of praise and worship, launch a counter strike against the assault of the monsters in our mind. I know I'm a little over. You got time for one more? Can I give you one more? All right, I'll bring the band out, I promise. We're gonna wrap it up. Band, come on out. One more, one more. So jot this down. You have to... Uh, exploit enemy weaknesses. This is huge. Exploit enemy weaknesses. Here's something that you should know. When the devil messes with you, um, when the devil causes you to think these, these thoughts, when the devil wants to put monsters in your mind, uh, he does it, and it should force you and I to understand and come to the conclusion that whatever he's trying to get us to, to think on is important to him that he wants us to stay stuck. He wants you to feel like you just are gonna live with doubt. You're gonna live with worry. You're gonna live with fear and anxiety. He wants you to feel worthless. Here's why, because he knows you're priceless. He wants you to feel like you don't have any value because he knows exactly how valuable you are. And if he can get you to stay stuck in those patterns in your mind, then he knows you will never become what God wants you to become. He knows you're never gonna accomplish what God has for you to accomplish. Jesus knew this. In fact, he says, everything that the devil tells me, I just do the opposite. If he tells me to jump off of this cliff, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna follow through. If he tells me that, that I shouldn't go to the cross, I shouldn't complete the mission that God has for my life, that there's another way. No, no, whatever he says is the opposite. I'm gonna fix my face like flint towards Jerusalem. And I'm gonna set my eyes on the, the task that God has put before me. If he tells me that I can turn this into that, that I can, can turn the stone into bread, that I can take a shortcut and experience immediate gratification, then no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna take the hard road. See, everything the devil tells you to do, you do the opposite. He is a liar. That's what the Bible says. He's a liar. His native language is lying. And the only reason he opposes it in the first place is because he's afraid of it. He's afraid of the fact of what you might do if you find freedom from that monster in your mind. You rise up and you refuse to go quietly into the night. You rise up and you refuse to go without putting up a fight. And you look that, that you decide that, that, that darkness, that dread that you're facing, you use that to determine exactly what it is the enemy wants to destroy in your heart and in your life. And you use that against him. And you say, in faith, I'm gonna trust in God. I'm gonna stay in him. I'm gonna keep my eyes fixed on him. And when I do that, I will remain in him and have perfect peace. Let's do this. Would you bow your head, close your eyes all across this room. I wanna pray for two groups of people today. 
for those of us, me included, who are plagued by monsters of fear, of doubt, of worry, anxiety, insecurity, comparison, whatever it is, you name your monster, but you're believing that Jesus wants to set you free. You're believing that he has more in store for you. You understand that that scary thought is not who you are, that God has more for your life. You'd say, Colby, not here I am. I wanna be free and I'm trusting that God's gonna do that for me. Would you just hold your hand high to God wherever you are right now? And just kind of an act of surrender, say, God, I'm, I'm giving this monster to you. Jesus, take it from me. No longer am I gonna be held hostage by, by you just name it, whatever it is, worry, doubt. No longer is it gonna have a hold on me that today I'm forcing it to the feet of the Father, that, that no one can go toe to toe with God, the God of the universe, and live to talk about it. And so God, today I'm gonna force it to your feet, but I know it's a journey, it's a process that every single day I have to stay connected to the source. Every single day I have to force it to your feet and I will for as long as I have to, to find freedom from it. And even though a thousand fall around me, 10,000 fall by my side, God, I'm gonna rise up with, with 10 times the determination to trust you, to save me, that I don't have to be terrified anymore. I don't have to experience the dread of the darkness of this thing that stalks me. So in Jesus' name, I'm believing that today and for the days and weeks, years to come, you're gonna set me free. You can put your hands down. Let's keep praying though. So there's another group of people in this room. We talk about being in Christ, in Christ, that all this happens, we find freedom as we are in Christ. What does that mean? That means you've allowed Jesus to pay for your sins. You've begun a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Not a religion, not joining a church. I'm not even gonna invite you to do that. But I'm gonna invite you into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Because Jesus died for our sins so that we would not have to die in them so that we would not have to pay for them. And the Bible tells us as we believe that and confess Jesus as Lord and that God raised him from the dead after dying on the cross, that mission that he accomplished for you and me, we believe that we are saved. And then we are in Christ and begins this journey of, of finding freedom in those areas of our life. For some of you, you haven't taken that first step of finding freedom. I invite you to do that right now. We do that through prayer. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that, Today, I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus and I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust him for salvation and I'm gonna get on my mark and get right with God. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up and just be bold about it, be excited about it. Say, God, here I am, take my life. Awesome, awesome. You can say something like this, Jesus, save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins so I would not have to pay for them. Forgive me for all the ways I've, I've gone wrong I repent and I turn now towards you. I confess you as Lord. Just tell him that again. I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. And from this moment on, I'm gonna follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for a new heart and a new mind. It's in your name I pray, amen. Amen. Can you celebrate with those today that made the best decision of their life? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. 
you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.